Lois Higgins pushed aside her coffee cup and stomped out of the restaurant. The silly argument had lasted long enough. Now she had to get off by herself for a while. She didn't want to sit one more second with her husband or his biker friends. All they ever did was argue. Lois hadn't yet turned 20, but she'd been through abortion and divorce and poverty and enough family turmoil to fuel one of her favorite soap operas for months. The last thing she needed on this April night in 1978 was more hassles. Three weeks earlier she'd attempted suicide, and her head still wasn't right. She was eating one meal a day, sometimes none. At five feet five inches, she weighed eighty-six pounds. She hurried through the Burlington Northern underpass, putting space between herself and Vip's restaurant. When she reached the far end, she realized that Al wasn't coming after her. A freight train approached, its generators throbbing. She watched the oscillating yellow headlight paint the backsides of buildings as the train clattered overhead. Like every other Spokenite, she was accustomed to the great dark shapes that reminded the old railhead town of its origins. The frame house that Lois and Al and the baby shared with a friend was three miles north of the river, but the prospect of the long uphill walk didn't bother her. Growing up in the apple orchards of Washington, always poor, beans most of the time, meat twice a week if we were lucky, she thought nothing of walking five or ten miles. Doctors had convinced her that walking was her safest exercise. She had a history of pleurisy, pneumonia, and asthma, and vivid memories of being rushed to hospitals. She hurried past the brightly lighted opera house and came to Riverfront Park, a grassy improvement that only a few years earlier had been a sooty tangle of tracks and trestles and sheds, inhabited largely by rats. She decided to take a shortcut across the lawns originally planted for Expo 74, Al could go to hell. If he came after her, he'd never find her here. The open roof of the International Pavilion curved over her head in graceful arcs and planes. She flopped on a bench to think. They had met in this park during the fair. Al was a muscular Vietnam vet with surprising reserves of compassion and emotion. How excited he'd been when she turned up pregnant. Now stay in the house and no lifting, he'd warned her. God damn, I'm going to have a son, me, a daddy. He made plans to return to school. Two months into the pregnancy, Lois slid on a patch of ice and fell hard on her spine. Al blamed her for the loss of my son. When she became pregnant again, he demanded that she have an abortion, but she refused. He stopped speaking to her. He's all tore up, she told friends in her little girl voice with a slight lisp. His attitude is, go away, you lost my son. This one won't live either. But Becky, five pounds, thirteen ounces at birth, had lived. A lovely, healthy child. Al hardly acknowledged her. He had taken up a new hobby, chasing teenage girls on his motorcycle. Lois went into a postpartum depression, the mother blues, she called it.
Sitting on the park bench a year later, she felt betrayed, lost. A light blinked off in one of the glassy new buildings downtown, reminding her that Wednesday was almost over. No one was in sight as she stepped onto the bridge. The Spokane River burbled beneath her. Spring runoff filled the gorge from bank to bank. Every day lately, townspeople had been crowding the Monroe Street Bridge to watch the brownish-green water shoot Spokane Falls, with a roar that drowned speech and sent cloudlets of spray to catch the sun in miniature rainbows. A spectacular sound and light show in the heart of town.